like to begin my sermon with a reading from another sermon. This is a uh, one of the most uh, famous sermons by C.S. Lewis that's called The Weight of Glory. I'm just going to read the first couple of sentences here for you. If you asked 20 good people today what they thought the highest of the virtues, 19 of them would reply, unselfishness. But if you had asked almost any of the great Christians of old, they would have replied, love. C.S. Lewis there recognizes that traditionally, love has been the most important of the virtues. I've had a number of conversations with people in uh, the last few months about love and about the way the church has preached it. And in those conversations, uh, some of the observations have been that there has been a movement to focus more on the love of God. And they have recognized that perhaps there was a time, uh, a generation or so ago, when there was a lot more emphasis on on judgment, on uh, on hard-hitting commands of doing this and not doing that. And there seems to have been a move now, let's focus more on the love of God. Now, no one would deny that love is important. It is central to our faith. But there are ways in which it is preached in which it is not so helpful. There is a way to focus on love that turns the Christian faith into cotton candy. That it's sweet on the tongue, but it doesn't fill us on the inside. And so if we look at God as a God who just really does not care about holiness, about righteousness, about justice, or anything else, if we focus on love between people in terms of that we just don't care what each other does, we don't care what happens in the world, that the only thing that is important is that we just accept everything that is going on, if that's how we interpret love, if we see love as just having fond feelings for each other, then there is something missing. We need something more. And the fear for some people is that if we focus on that kind of love, we will end up with something like Christianity light. That it's not the real faith, but it is just kind of a a feel-good faith. Well, we're going to be taking a look at the concept of love, and we're looking at it through John's first letter. And what I love about this letter is that this is so far from Christianity light. In fact, this is one of the most deeply theological letters that we find in the Bible. It is absolutely amazing. Uh, John was a deep thinker who really thought through these things well. Not only was he thinking about this, he wasn't just dealing with theology in the abstract. He was actually worried about heresies. Uh, he realized that there were different kinds of people in the church. There were people who were devoted to Jesus. There were people who were just there. And then there were also people who were dangerous, who were teaching false things. And so in his letter, he's actually working through these ideas and trying to come up with some tests so that we understand who is it who is a true follower of Jesus and who is it who is there just to make trouble. And so he brings up a number of tests, but one of the ones that he spends the most amount of time on is love. He actually sees 
love as a test. Now today, uh, we probably don't think of love as a heresy detector. That's probably not our primary image when it comes to love. But that is actually what John is doing. Now heresy may not be our, our number one priority today, but there still are some tremendous needs within the church, within our communities, and love is still relevant to identify what it means to truly follow Jesus. Now, I mentioned that this is a very theological letter, and you can't get any more theological than looking at what the nature of God is. Now, there are some people who believe that we can only say negative statements about God. That is, we can only say what God is not like. So we can look at what a human person is, uh, that we might be fickle uh, in our in our love, in our relationships. And so we can say, uh, well, we don't know what God is like, but we know that God is not like that. Or we might say something else about, uh, about humans, of how uh, we maybe are, are selfish or greedy or, or uh, materialistic. We can then say about God, well, God is not like that. And they would say, there's nothing positive we can say. We just know what he's not like. Well, I would actually disagree with that. I think there are some statements in the scriptures that identify what God is like. And one of the clearest of that is what John says here when he says that God is love. And I've come back to this many times because I think that it's so important. It's not saying that God is loving, although God is loving, but God is love. So it's not saying that love is something that he sometimes does, that he has a whole range of things that he is involved in, and there's a whole range of things that are a part of who he is. And sometimes he chooses to love. He might not choose to love at other times, but it's, it's something that's an option for him. That's not what John is saying. John is saying that God is love in his nature. It is love to the core. This actually goes back to the concept of the Trinity. That the Trinity, uh, long before there was ever any human being anywhere in the universe, God was still love because there was eternal love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God is love. Everything that he does comes out of his love. Even those passages when we read and we think, oh, I don't really like what's happening here. I don't like uh, what's being described here. I don't like how it's talking about God's wrath. I don't like how it's talking about God's anger or his jealousy or anything else. And yet all of those things emerge out of God's love. This is so important. There's a reason why when people came to Jesus and said, what are the greatest of the commandments? That Jesus said, it is to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. It is about love. I would say that Christianity is the only religion that finds love as its foundation. Now, I'm not saying that people of other religions are not loving. I'm not saying that at all. I know many people of other religions, of no religion, and they are loving people. What I'm saying is, the message of Christianity, its foundation is love, and there is no other worldview that shares that foundation. This is a radical message. But John wants us to understand, before we look at anything else, to understand who God is and that he is love. So, God is love. But what is love? Again, 
for many people, love is about an emotion. It's about a feeling. It's about being around that special person and, and, and feeling those feelings. There's that, uh, you get the warm fuzzies, uh, you get all those other things that go on. Uh, that's what love is. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that, but that is not the real definition of love. How does God show his love? Is it just that he sits on his throne in heaven and, and feels fond feelings for us and thinks, oh, those wonderful people at Queen Street Baptist Church, I just really like them. They're just nice people and I just feel good things about them. Is that all that goes on or is there more? Well, how really do we show love? Well, we are very close to Christmas time and one of the things that many people do at Christmas time is to give gifts to the people that they love. And there is something good about it. Yes, uh, gift giving can be stressful, it can be frustrating, uh, it can get materialistic and all of those other things. But there are a time when giving a gift is done in the right way. When you know something special about that person and the gift that you give reflects the fact that you have a relationship and you know them and you know what is important to them. And it's not about the dollar amount, but it's about the meaning behind the gift. Those things are important acts of love. And God does the same thing. What John says in this passage is that he demonstrates his love for us. And the first thing that he gives to us is Jesus. He gives his son, his only begotten son. He gives Jesus to us. And why did he give Jesus to us? Just so that he could be born in Bethlehem? Just so that we would have this beautiful image for a nativity scene? No, that's not the, the reason that Jesus came into the world. Jesus came into the world, yes, to be born, but also to grow, to live, to become an adult, to begin a ministry, to teach the truth about the kingdom of God, to perform miracles, to show compassion, to demonstrate love, to go to the cross, to be crucified, to die, and to be raised again. All of those things, they were the gift of God. God could have looked at us and said, those people, they are just a mess, this whole human race, what a mistake. But he didn't do that. He gave Jesus to us so that we might be saved. Now, we can look at that and say, that is enough. That is as that's far beyond what we could imagine as a gift from God. But if you remember those, uh, those old uh, late, time, late night infomercials, wait, there's more. And it's not Ginsu knives that we get. The, the other gift that we get is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Now, why do we need the Holy Spirit? If we've been given Jesus, isn't Jesus enough? The Holy Spirit is so important. It's so important that in the Gospel of John, Jesus says it's actually better for his disciples that he go away because the Father would send the Spirit. That somehow there would be a benefit for us to have the Spirit. Well, how could the Spirit in any way replace the gift of Jesus? Well, he doesn't replace the gift of Jesus, but he applies the gift of Jesus in a new way. Think about what it was like while Jesus was on earth. How many followers did he have? We don't really know. Let's say in the hundreds. We know that within those hundreds of followers, that there was a group of 70 that he sent off in a mission. So that was a smaller group. Of that group of 70, we know that there was 12 that he spent a lot more time in, that he really poured himself into that. Of that 12, there was three of them 
that he spent even more time with, that he could really uh, disciple them and train them and prepare them. Now, Jesus, in his human experience, was limited in what he could do with how many people, and there was only so much he could do with a limited number of people. But with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is made available to all Christians. All followers of Jesus receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in our life. The Holy Spirit helps us to grow in our faith. The Holy Spirit reveals to us who Jesus is. All of this happens through the gift of the Spirit. This is a gift that we need to be thankful for. God is love. He feels love for us, but he doesn't leave it at feeling. He gives. He gives Jesus, and he gives the Spirit. So all of these things that John has shared is really setting out the the foundation for his argument, because ultimately what he wants to do is have some kind of test, a way of understanding who really is a follower of Jesus. And so in order for us to know that, he had to work out a means of measurement. And so we've looked at it as the love of God. God is love, and God demonstrates love. But the test is what happens on our end. How do we respond? And that brings us to the final point, that God expects that we will love. We must respond in some way. We must react to the love of God. It is possible for a person to love religion and not to love people. It is possible. People might really enjoy the music. They may enjoy the ritual. They may enjoy the architecture. Uh, They may even enjoy the theology. They may enjoy the commands. There's a sense of of order and righteousness and holiness in all of the commands. And there's something that could be really attractive there. But that person could then turn around and never show love towards another person. But that is not what God wants. The test for understanding who is a follower of Jesus is who is the person who demonstrates love. If God is love and we have been adopted into God's family, it is assumed that we are going to demonstrate love towards people. Uh, In order to really love God, we have to love people. John does not see any kind of situation in which you can be in a loving relationship with God and not love people. You can't show love to to God and then turn around and be hateful towards people. Uh, John reminds us, we don't see God, okay? We can't look and say, oh, there is God. But we see the people that he has brought into our lives. How are we treating them? What are we doing? And again, it's not about feeling. And this is really important. Because for one thing, we can't manufacture those feelings. There are people who are around us that we just don't feel that fondness for. That they are not the people that we're drawn to. Maybe we don't have similar interests. Maybe uh, they have little quirks that just drive us crazy and we really don't want to be around them. But we are called to love all people. And even if we do feel that love, just feeling that love towards another person doesn't do anything. We need to act on that love. We need to do something to demonstrate 
that we are showing love. And this is something for us to think about. As we come to the end of this year, and we look into the new year, and for some people you do New Year's resolutions, some people don't like New Year's resolutions, but what I would ask is, what can you do to demonstrate that you are a person who loves people? And again, it's not about whether you feel it or not. What can you do? What can we do as a church to demonstrate that we love this community? What would need to happen in order for people who walk by this building to say, oh yes, I know this congregation. This is that congregation that loves people. What would it take for that to happen? If loving people was suddenly made illegal, would there be enough evidence to convict us of that crime? It's an important thing for us to ask. For some people, talking about love is something that doesn't need to be spoken about. Love is easy. They, what they want is something really deeply theological. None of this light, loving stuff. But I would actually say that love is the deepest theology. It is very difficult. It may be simple, but it is very difficult. It goes down to the very nature of God. God is love. That is who he is. At the core, he is love. Not just in feeling, but in demonstration, in action. God shows his love to us. He shows his love to us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to come and die for us and to be raised to share his life. He sends the Holy Spirit to us to empower us, to encourage, to give us the strength that we need. And ultimately, our test is whether or not we show love towards other people. The test is not going to be about how we felt towards other people. The test is not going to be about what emotions were experienced. The test will be, did we show love? Did we demonstrate God's grace and mercy to the people that he brought into our lives as individuals and as a church. That is the test. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you are love. We don't even fully understand what that means for you to be love. But we do see the gifts that you have given. We see that you have given us Jesus. We see that you have given us the Spirit. We thank you for these gifts. Lord, soon we are going to be walking out of this building. We'll be going back to our families, to our friends, to our communities. This week we'll be going back to our workplace or our school. We'll be around the people that you bring into our lives. God, help us to show love. Help us to show love, especially to those that we do not feel the love towards. Help us to be your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.